This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello, good evening and welcome to Green and White, the weekly Argo Life podcast. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify and Stitcher, so please follow and subscribe on those platforms to keep up to date with new episodes. And with us this evening to discuss the latest on all things Argyle, we have Adam. Hello. We have Josh. Hello. And a newcomer to the podcast, we've got Dan. Hi, great to be here. How are you all? <coughs> yeah, right. Pretty good. Probably yeah. better than you are at the moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Josh and I aren't feeling... I know Josh is tired, I'm just ill. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, fortunately, I don't produce this anymore. I host it, but Tom produces it now, so he can have fun editing out my coughs. <laughs> Not my problem. Um... Uh, let's go straight to Adam. Adam, you've already published your match analysis this week. Yeah. It came out today, I think. Why don't you talk us through your thoughts about uh, Argo versus Bradford? Yeah, it it wasn't great, was it? It was billed as a game of two halves, and I did set out my analysis as a look at the two halves, but the real change really wasn't the fact that Argyle dropped off or Argyle were great in the first half. It was the case that Bradford found a way to exploit our weaknesses in the second half that they really should have been doing in the first our midfield, as we well know and as we've seen on countless occasions, was not set up to either A, create chances or B, prevent chances for the opposition. And in the second half, Bradford got to grips with that. They found a way to exploit, in particular, the fullbacks. I think I've put a couple of examples in the analysis of what they did with Gary Sawyer, placing one of their better players out wide. As a result, Gary Sawyer either had to follow them or he had to stay where he was. If he followed them, the midfield would be stretched because the game would be a bit more stretched by the fullback going wide, meaning it would be so much easier for Bradford to simply pass through our midfield as we've seen so many teams do this season. If he stuck in, in position and allowed his man out wide, it opens the way for a diagonal ball. And we saw on a couple of occasions Bradford played diagonal balls, played on Gary Sawyer's slight frailties in the air and ended up developing very good chances that I think one might have been the one that was cut up by Canavan. One did Leathering get yeah, through, I think was. it was that one. So... Yeah, it's it wasn't it was not great for my goal at all. It's a point that I'm very happy to say we escaped with because if any side did deserve to win, it was Bradford. So you know, to keep them five points behind at this stage of the season, I think I've got to be happy with it. But one thing I was not happy with was the performance. I don't think we were very good at all. And yeah, like I say, a point will do on that basis. 
I mean, points always the positive here because I know a lot of people are thinking about the distance between us and the opposition, but for, I think at this stage we're quite lucky to be able to say that we just need to focus on getting that points total. It, you know, yeah, we, that's we don't true. need to that's true. be Did thinking about the distance about between us and 50 relegation. points, we'd say, that we're going to keep us up. So what's that? 12 more points that we need across the next 13 games? I think that's manageable. Yeah. That sounds very doable. Beat Rochdale. Go on. Yeah, we seem, we seem very inconsistent as a team of, of late in terms of results. I mean, the Saturday was very much must not lose, as the cliche goes, and I think we came away with the with the end result was fine for us, but as you say, the performance wasn't promising. If we keep playing like that for the remaining 13 games, those 12 points may be difficult to come by. Mm, but I'd say we've just about got the quality, especially when you consider that we the four points we took from Portsmouth and Peterborough really have gone a long way. That's trimmed the total a lot. Like I say, we beat Rochdale. We're into the home straight. The final quarter of the season, needing nine points basically to stay up. You would like and to I, think. I, you'd like to think that you know there are other teams around us in this division who will have the same problems we do. And on our day, like you say, we've got the quality to get those points. And if we do indeed win at the weekend and go into that final stretch needing nine points, I mean, I for one, I'll certainly be a lot more comfortable. That is very much the difference between us and some of the sides below us. You take a Walsall who. You know, aren't very good in midfield like we aren't. Um, they have a different style, but in Kerry and Lemiris, we've got quality that, like your Wimbledon's, really Oxford. Even though they've got some good players, aren't really taking great advantage of them. Kerry and Lemiris are the sort of people who are going to just about keep us up. Or we could change formation and play our best style. And that would be lovely. Of, you know, <laughs> we <whatever>. can dream. <laughs> um, well, I think one of the main themes that we've seen, especially since from Burton onwards is a dramatic improvement in Argyle's defensive capabilities um, I know Josh has got some strong opinions on one major reason why that ah. is yes do you, do you want to go ahead uh, I mean I just think a part of it and a major reason now makes it sound like I'm uh, massively in favour of one and, and really dislike the other which isn't quite true but I think I think an aspect of it does come down to goalkeeping um, and I think there's there's lots of things that you can measure statistically and some things that you can't measure statistically. Um, but I think one of the biggest... Love, that's just an open dig at me. Uh, I mean... It is an open <laughs> dig at you, yes. Because... I mean, but the thing is, I-, I use statistics to measure some of it. I've never acted as though that's going <laughs> to encapsulate all of it. But it's just like, it's the go-to insult. Like, oh, he just deals in statistics. Sorry, go on, but uh... you're not going to dig at me without getting some kind of rise. Yeah, I think that particularly... Some of the important things since Leatherin's come into the team for Macy, uh, being that we're winning and more successful in games, and we've conceded a lot less per game at the back. Uh, I think part of it, it helps partly that you've got, um, you know, we, we've got a back four now that is settled and are playing together. But you know, there's one thing that matters, and there's less goals going in at the moment. Uh, there's another the point specifically. Another point I'd like to make in terms of the goalkeeping situation and the the intangible aspect of it is age. It did seem our back five when we had Macy, Smith, Brown, and Moore in there, and Ryan Edwards isn't exactly old either. It's quite a youthful 25. back five, yeah. So the fact that Leatheran has come in, okay, he's not played that many games in his career, but he's got a little bit more age, more experience than Macy. And that could could be making all the difference in terms of communication and leadership and just, just getting points on the board. We say about 
how important or how unimportant the captain's armband can be. Sometimes a good captain can just intangibly get you a few more points on the board, and maybe that's what's oh, happening with Leather. So you'd rather play Jan Songo, who's two years older than Ryan Edwards in centre back. <laughs> There's not. <laughs> doesn't always have to be the case, but it may just how be. How is may Leather just be a better communicator? What I mean, he might be. I'm not saying he isn't, but the argument particularly put forward by one mr samuel down is essentially that he must be i think correlation that, equals causation that's the way that a lot of people, I, I i hear what dan's saying and i think age actually from my point of view acts as a fallacy almost in this sort of situation a lot of people see leatheran's age and they see macy's age and they see one goalkeeper that's experienced one that isn't and therefore okay one of them must be a better communicator than the other one of them must have more experience and know what he's doing a little bit more than the other does. And I would say that I, I agree with Dan in the sense that that can be an intangible psychological thing. I'm no psychologist by any means, but it sounds about right to me. But I, in the main, I think a lot of people have assumed that Leatheran is a better communicator than Macy is, but haven't been able to say why that is or point to examples of why that is. And I get that's difficult. I get you can't go, well, look at him communicating there because generally speaking, we're either watching from a TV screen that's a long way away from the goalkeeper's point of action or in the stands and we can't simply hear what they're saying. But I'm yet to see, from my point of view, any tangible evidence, rather than the intangibles that we've spoken about, that shows that Leatherin is a better communicator. And until I see that, I'm going to be a little bit sceptical because, as Nick has pointed out in past podcasts, there are a lot of examples we can point to in highlights where communication could have been better. Not just could have been better, but it should have been better. Absolutely. I mean, going back to it, must it must have been like ten minutes in to his first game against Burton. Sarsovic has the Sarsovic has the ball and time uh, as feet and time to clear it or wait. Leatherman just needs to call and he'll come and pick it up. He says nothing. He walks towards the ball. Sarsovic has no idea he's there and boots out of play. And all of a sudden, Burton had the ball back. You say ten minutes into his first game. Into his first game back in the uh, back in the yeah, side. In, I, well, I tell you, what, I'll find you the exact minute if you want. Yeah, no, no, it's not that I'm fussed about. But how long had he spent out of the sides? It was a like third minute actually. But I mean, it's not just that one. There's 37th minute, 82nd minute, 32nd minute, Oxford, 42nd minute, 60th minute, 87th minute. Do you, do you want me to literally keep on listing them? They get they get fewer, but there are still some spread out through games. This not to say that Macy's a better communicator is to say that I'm yet to see that there's evidence that Leatheran is a good communicator. And let's not forget that just because he's been out of the side, that doesn't mean he can't talk. Just because he can't... just I mean, he trains with them every day. I mean, that's a quite pathetic excuse, really, it's that you couldn't much, shout my ball. That's sharpness, though, isn't it? Just things take yeah, a little while to get used to. What, to shout my ball? Possibly. You think it takes time to shout my ball? Do they? I mean... Uh, I Even don't remember then, the incident, so. Well, I mean, you can go find it if you want. But anyhow, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I know you're not. Um, <laughs> you haven't even watched that game, have you? Which one? Burton. No. No. Yeah, uh, wait, um, was that the three-two? No, one-one. Oh no, I've only watched three-two. Uh, anyhow, it's it's like the reason people think Macy's a good communicator is the same reasons Josh articulated that goals conceded have gone down. Mm-hmm. But my contention to that would be that A, there's evidence that he, like Macy, is not a good communicator. That, you know, he's 
generally just if he's not quiet he's not effectively communicating anyway and two is that a major reason fewer goals have been conceded is because teams have started missing more of their easy chances that's not the only reasons but that has been one that has been overlooked if Coventry, Oxford, Burton um, uh, yeah if those had put away some of their easy chances we'd be looking at a substantially higher goals per game rate that wasn't all down to Leatherin, that's a fair bit down to poor finishing. Do you, Does the poor finishing factor in the potential, though, that if it's, say, a one-on-one situation and the goalkeeper spreads himself better, say if, say if Macy spreads himself better than Leatherin and the person facing Macy misses and the person facing Leatherin scores, is that a factor in all of that? I know what you mean. It's very hard to measure. To be honest, having watched literally every minute of the season, I don't think there's much difference. I think Leatherham might have a bit... His technique might be slightly better. I'm As as more games go past, I'm coming more onto the... in line with the idea that Leatherham is a better shot stopper. Not, not much, not enough to justify the decrease in goals conceded, but there is a tangible aspect of his saving which is more consistent than Macy's. But no, I don't think in the main that that is what's happened. I think partly, if, for example, Connor Chaplin's been known to miss other big chances. Coventry fans have been complaining about that for ages. He missed two good ones. Um, yeah, for example, I think it was Hawula's chance. Remember when he was four yards out, open goal, and he smashed into Leatherin's face? I mean, that's not good goalkeeping. That's shocking finishing. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, the other main factor, I know one that you agree with, and I think Adam agrees with too, is the reintroduction of Edwards and Canavan. And that's been a major, you know, that's been a major influence in uh, why things have improved. Dan, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's strange, really, because they obviously had a small spell together at the start of the season, and it was fairly mixed. I mean, there were some games where they looked pretty solid, and then, unfortunately, the one which may stick in a lot of fans' minds is the five-one against Peterborough, where Canavan was hooked at half-time because he was having. Well, they didn't play together then. They only started two games together before this. That was they started three. Uh, the nil-nil with Bristol Rovers. Uh, they started the Blackpool game, but Canavan went off injured after five minutes. Who was? And it was the Bradford three-three draw. Who was right centre back in the Canavan? It was, started. it was Wooten and Canavan. I apologise. Yeah. Canavan. Okay, Canavan had a. Let's put it to put it as politely as possible a shocker in that Peterborough game and was hooked at half time. That said, it wasn't, didn't get much better in the second half. Um, again, a thing that sticks in my mind from that is Songo trying to play an offside trap with the halfway line, and that led to their third goal. Um, since they've come in, back into the team uh, around New Year's time, you have to say they have they have looked mostly solid. Um, they're both very good at winning the majority of their headers. I mean, we have come up against some teams... Um, Coventry stick in my mind for playing a lot of long balls up to a pretty small striker so you'd quite frankly expect them to win the majority of their headers then but it's it's no given and um, they're both they're both proving to be good in the air um, which when we sit deep as a team which we are occasionally prone to doing under Adams um, defending a lot of crosses into the box high balls into the box that's what you want you want centre-backs who can win their headers also a goalkeeper who can command their box. We won't get into that again. But um, I'm I'm happy with them for the moment. I mean, with Lloyd-Jones on the bench, they've 
They've got some competition, obviously, with Songo um, at the moment in the side, but his position is by no means guaranteed. He's another potential for well, another potential for the cent- the centre back spot. So they're not they can't get too comfortable. They've got um, competition for places, but I think if you look at the stats in terms of headers won, and again, it's not everything goals conceded. Please do, yeah. Uh, sure. So at the moment, as playing as a centre back this season, Edwards has the best aerial dual success, seventy-two point eight percent. Then Canavan, 72.3%. Then the now departed Peter Grant, 64.4%. Then Songo, which as a centre back, he's 52.6%. Then Sawyer, as a centre back, is 45.2%. And then Scott Wooten at the bottom with 40%. That is awful. Four yeah, out of ten. This, the Songo one surprises, may surprise a lot of people, I think, because he's often seen as that kind of huge stopper who wins everything, but. Yeah. yeah, when you when you actually stop and think about it, he is often beaten in the air, and those stats back that up. Um, if I, mean, I remember when when we played Gillingham, and the line was, oh, Tom Eves, get out of Songo's pocket. Eves won more headers against Songo. And I was watching that game back in sheer frustration, thinking, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, but pe- Eves actually did like... well against Songo. It was Canavan who kept him quiet. People like Songo's aggression, though, isn't it? It's not that, you know, statistically he's, he's doing things well, it's that he looks like he's trying harder, he looks like he's putting himself about or he's doing yeah. the f- flying into headers to clear the ball and soaring through the air to where the ball Charging 40 yards. across the pitch. Exactly. And people... Putting people under pressure, leaving vast exactly. spaces open and sentiment to be exploited, but they don't care because he dived in for a tackle, even though it led to a goal. Sorry, another thing regarding um, the improvement that is still needed amongst the centre-backs. You speak to so many Argyle fans and the first issue they have with a centre-back pairing is often pace. Lack of pace back there. We need to be able to match strikers up for pace. For me, the big loss has been a centre-back who can play the ball out well and start attacks. Um, Edwards and Canavan are not completely just stoppers or, you know, very as as limited as, say, a Songo or uh, going into past seasons, a kind of Bolvitis or a Guy Branston or something like that. We're in League One. We need a bit more than that from our centre back. But it would still That's be very harsh on Canavan. Canavan's a v- he's the most composed passer as centre back that we have. He's been good. Um, I mean, was, yeah, it, it was... I mean, he's got he's got a pass success of sixty four point six one percent, which I should say immediately, as far as I'm aware, is higher than Songo's, which is kind of embarrassing. Cause, yeah, it is higher than Songo's, given Songo plays in centre mid and lots of very simple passes to make. But if you strip out all the long balls he ends up having to play because there's no one to pass to, his pass percent would be so much higher. Yeah, that's I, that's I, fair. I think me, I think earlier in... a very good composed passer. Yeah, I think earlier in the season when it was um, when Canavan wasn't in the team, it was it was an issue for a lot of people, you know. And even when Canavan came in, it was people saying, "Well, lack of pace or or whatever." But I think, yeah, Canavan has showed it. I'm still, you know, seeing occasional tweets from um, Rotherham United fans who are slating Zach Viner and hoping that we could get him back because we'll play him at right back. They do play him at right back, and that they seems do, a bit yeah. of a mistake mm-hmm. to me. I know he did okay for us at right back, but he was by trade clearly he a centre half. Yeah. yeah, and his ability—I mean, he had—he had the lot really, didn't he? But his ability to play the ball out, I think, was so important to us. And getting his getting the defence dribbling out as well. 
It was very Nelson-esque that he could spot a gap. I know Edwards does it a bit, but he really doesn't have the speed or the agility to do it. But Viner could just turn it on, coast past a couple of players. And when you've got a team literally set up to contain us from back to front, breaking the midfield line that early was quite... It, it didn't come in... It didn't factor much in goals, but it was still useful in the general scope of the game. Mm. The, the other useful thing for us has been uh, the week break that Edwards took sort of around Christmas time. Um, it was a month. Well, as I, I know they, they gave him a, a complete week off from doing anything, didn't they? Uh, and I know he spent obviously long on that out of the team. Considering what he went through over the last sort of year and a bit, um, I think you have to be a little bit careful with how you manage players. And I don't know how maybe carefully he was managed before that game that he got dragged off at half-time. Um, but since he's played since then, it was like the um, Ryan Edwards of old. And I think manager managing him better, and I'm assuming that things have changed a little bit in the way that he's being managed, because recovering from... Uh, you know, the treatment that he had can, in lots of cases, can take, you know, about two years to get full recovery. Yeah. Um, and we're not, Before, we're like halfway through that at the moment. So you have to manage him yeah. carefully. We're not even halfway th- through. I should, yeah, I suppose we are. Um, before you, because while we are waiting for you earlier, Josh, we, Thanks. Dan, Adam and I were <laughs> discussing um, that the two most common, the most common errors we've seen from Edwards have been letting that ball slip and roll under his foot. Yeah. We saw it against Oxford when Mackey scored. We saw it against Bradford in the 3-3 very early on. And they both come at either end of that spell out of the team when, um, uh, you know, when he was recovering from his... Uh, uh, well, basically, in an interview, as far as I remember, he effectively said that uh, he was still too tired, he was working too hard. And when you factor that in, it might not be in you know everything, but when you factor in the lower levels of concentration because of fatigue, when you factor in less control of his, you know, less muscular control, that could go some way to explaining those two very similar mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that game where he came off at halftime, he was, that was all over the place. Yeah, he... 68th minute, yeah. I thought, I no, there was, was, I swear place. there was a game that he was pulled off at halftime. Was at home? He was pulled off in the 79th minute against Oxford, and he came off in the 68th minute against Bradford, but that's it. I remember a game we took him off at half time. I have to check that. It's before Christmas, I think. Uh, it must be. It's just Bradford. Bradford's the only one. Mm. I've literally got it open in front of me. Um. Then the other. Th- it's another factor. Just as I, we'll, we'll wrap this conversation up here. But the other uh, talking about defensive errors. Since Canavan and, um, and Edwards came in as a defensive pair, the rate at which Argyle's centre backs, so just the centre backs, have made defensive errors has dropped from 0.57 per 90, so one more than one every other game, to 0.2 ever since, so one every five. That's good. Which is a big drop. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's in the... Well, I'm going to be publishing an article about this in the coming days, for anyone who's interested, but... Th- that has been a major factor, those two being composed and cutting out the ridiculous number of errors that have been committed by this defence. Mm-hmm. Going all the way back to Peterborough before yeah. stopping the the leaking of the easy goals and easy chances rather has been a major factor to help Leatherham. Okay, right, quiz time. Josh, you feel up to it? Uh, honestly, <laughs> just depends. How hard is it? Okay, it is about AFC Wimbledon. Cue the music. 
in Argyle's first ever match against AFC Wimbledon. Okay. Which which player missed a one on one by dribbling the ball straight into the arms of the opposition? Oh, okay. Um, 2012. That sounds like something Nick Tom Hitchcock. Oh, I was going to guess that. Never, never <laughs> forgotten that moment. Argyle have played 17 matches against Wimbledon. How many have they won? Uh, I don't think we've got that good a record against them. So I'll go for. Uh, uh, six. Correct. Who scored Argyle's first ever goal against Wimbledon? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, Quick, honest man. Alex Zero. Ma- oh, okay. I was going to guess Alex. Sorry, you said I don't know. You're too slow. Yeah. Um, when Lyle Taylor scored the open goal at Wembley, who was marking him? Uh, oh, no. I'm, Quickly. I'm, uh, uh, I'll go Curtis Nelson. Incorrect. Peter Hartley. Who's the only player to score goals against Wimbledon in consecutive seasons? Graham Carey. Incorrect, David Fox. Bonus point question. What are the two most common score lines in this fixture? Uh, 2-1. 2? Who 2? Oh, um, Argo. And? Okay, 2-1 to Wimbledon. <laughs> Correct for 2-1 to Wimbledon, the other was 1-1. Oh, okay. In 2015, Argo came from 2 down to win 3-2. Who scored the winning goal? Oh, I remember this, I was there. Um, it was McHugh, wasn't it? Correct. The following season, Argyle played Wimbledon in the Football League trophy again. Who scored the goal that night? Was this at Wimbledon? Am I allowed to ask that? Yes, it was at Wimbledon. Was I at this one? No, I, I can't remember. I'll go for um, Tanner. Incorrect. Connor Smith. How many clean sheets have Argyle kept against Wimbledon? Four. Incorrect. Three. And finally, how many different players have scored against Wimbledon? What? <laughs> What? <laughs> um, Sorry. Last week, Sam had to guess the wages of Joe Mason. That's yeah. That, okay, that's savage. Um, well, we beat them. We've beat. We've got a couple, a mm, few decent scoring games against them. So I'll go fifteen. Incorrect. Eighteen. So you got three out of eleven, which I must say is below par. I mean, I thought you'd get David Fox. What I don't, I, I literally wouldn't have if you'd have got me guessing the whole Argyle team. <laughs> it's called this season and last. They're very memorable goals. I don't remember either of them. You don't re- sorry. You don't remember <laughs> David many, Fox goal against on. Wimbledon, the one from forty <laughs> yards on the volley into the top corner. Yeah, I remember it, but I wouldn't. As in, I wouldn't remember ever remember and last season when he hit it on the you know on the half volley into the top corner from twenty yards. And then the load of the others are just. Guesses, Do you want to guess the only other team Fox has scored against? Uh, I, I honestly, I honestly couldn't get, you know. Mansfield. Yeah. See, we've been a bit here a long time. Yeah. How how many would you have got, Dan? <laughs> um, I didn't get the Foxy one either, but I reckon I would have got five oh. or six. I was going to say for the Wembley one, I was going to say Kelvin Meller because there was that Mella famous clip of him heading him. the Mella floor, was wasn't the it, when he was trying to and the floor. And the floor. Mm. Well, well, he is marking enough. all of Wembley. And the floor. Time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and not very well either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't know about that. It didn't touch the floor, did it? That's true. <laughs> did a cracking job. Um, no, is my, if you watch the highlights, you can see Peter Hartley running behind him, desperately trying to catch up. In many ways, I felt sorry for Mella. He was perfectly positioned to clear it. No one gave him a call that Taylor was coming, and if he'd stepped forward, he probably just would have knocked Taylor over and given a penalty. He was in a terrible position. I think this is not a debate that we should get into. Well, no, or if it's just, not. If he, if he just cleared yeah, it. Oh, hey, right, okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, if you'd gone with his feet, feet, there's a 50-50 chance he would just clobbered uh, Taylor and given away a penalty. Nevertheless, let's move on. Predictions. Rochdale this week. 
And while explaining possibly why, rather than just saying a scoreline, Adam, please, your prediction? <laughs> um, I mean, this is a podcast. People do want to hear what we've got to say. Okay, than just, you know, I'll, I'll trust you on that one. Um, I look at Rochdale and I think they've got much the similar problems that we do. I think from what I remember of what I had very briefly last week, they're very reliant on Ian Henderson for the goals, as we were for a period of time reliant on Ladapa for the goals. I think we've got perhaps a little bit more quality, and for that reason, I'm going to say 2-1 to our goal. Yeah, they remind me a bit of Southend. Southend are reliant on ageing Simon Cox. Mm. Rochdale are reliant on ageing Ian Henderson. Uh, Dan? Yeah, I think um, given that we've on a still a bit of an unbeaten run, I think Adams is likely to go unchanged. And for that reason, given that it's not, in my opinion, our strongest team, I think we may be in for a bit of a struggle. So um, I think we'll scrape a 1-1. I think... What Dan said is interesting because I think lots of us would agree that he's not really been playing his strongest team for ages and yet we've continually picked up points and won games um, that certainly I don't think we mm. have, as a group have predicted very well. Um, so I, I agree with Dan. I, I think, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I, I think he won't play his strongest side. I think he'll continue with Sunger in the field and he'll continue with Ladapo up front um, and yet somehow we still won't lose the game. Um, I'll I'll go for an Argyle win on this one. I'll say two one to Argyle. The Miras doing bits again. I will not predict a win because I don't have a particularly good record of predicting wins and getting them. It's very noble of you. I don't, I don't know. What, I don't know what happens to be honest. The Argyle don't play. That's well. quite intangible, and isn't then it? The Miras scores a deflective goal. And then Coventry failed to clear their lines, even though we give them three chances to clear, and Lemiras you know slams it in the far corner. How I still I still don't understand how we beat Coventry. I mean, Coventry created so many good chances and fluffed them all, scored a screamer from a free kick, and then let in two very defendable goals. Even the mirrors. But yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I was happy about it, but I just, from an analyst perspective, it just bemuses me. Anyhow, um, I, I'll go one-one. I think one-one. I is what it, I'll go for. The advantage for you, Nick, is if we win, then you know that's good because we win. And if we don't win, then it's good for you because yep. you can moan. <laughs> Yep, that's, I say that to my girlfriend every week. It's a win-win situation. We either pick up points or I can complain. That is our show. Thank you all so much for listening. We all hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe to the channel on Spotify, iTunes and Stitcher. I almost said Itcher. Um, to keep up with today with all the latest episodes of Green and White. And get in touch with us if you have any feedback or suggestions. Uh, we'd love to hear them all. Thank you all so much for listening. And from all of us, good night. Good night. Good night. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. 
Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.